today on Commitment to Truth. Do you think the world would even understand what we're doing here? How can we, of all mixed cultures and races, stand here together and glorify God? Because of God. Because it's not about stuff. It's not about color. It's not about who my mama and daddy were. It's about Jesus Christ and who he is to me, my Savior. And that's all that matters. And we need to be the picture of Jesus Christ to them people out there so they'll see the same thing. You want peace? We got to show it to them because it's right here. And it's a peace that only God can give. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Heroes. We'll learn from the biblical heroes of the past found in Hebrews 11 and by faith to encourage you to become today's heroes of the faith. Here's Pastor Ken Jones, teaching pastor at Commitment Church, with today's message. Uh, we're doing a series now called The Heroes of Faith from Hebrews chapter 11, and we're walking our way through each one of those. We started, uh, I had the joy of starting with Abel, and we've worked our way through. Pastor spoke on Sarah last week. Uh, we skipped Abraham, for those of you that are following this in order, because we're going to talk about Abraham on Father's Day. So uh, I'm going to talk about Isaac today, who just happens to be my grandson, uh, but that's not the same Isaac. Uh, so we, uh, first I'd like to go for a definition of hero. Uh, I, what is a hero? He's a person who is distinguished by exceptional courage and nobility and strength. A person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Now, these outstanding achievements and noble qualities that we're talking about here is this group of guys that's in Hebrews chapter 11 is their faith. Their faith in a God and God's promises. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. So faith, we look at faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 gives us our definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. And that approval is obviously of God. So we want to talk about Isaac, Abraham's son. First, Abraham's or Isaac's life began the fulfillment of God's promise. God's promise was to Abraham. And he promised Abraham two things initially in his meeting with Abraham. And I'm going to have to talk about Abraham a little bit to talk about Isaac, so bear with me. But his promise to Abraham was all of the land that he was walking on and that he could see, and that his descendants would be a great nation. So that was the promise to Abraham. Isaac, Abraham's son, began the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. So he was born to Abraham and Sarah as promised in Genesis chapter 18. And we'll look there at verses 9 and 10. Uh, it says, then they said to him, and they is the angel of the Lord and the couple of angels that were with him meeting with Abraham at this time, and of course him is Abraham. Uh, they said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. 
verse 18, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I, God, have chosen him, Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Okay, so Isaac now is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to begin this process of his descendants becoming as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And he was called laughter, which is what Isaac means. Genesis chapter 21, verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah born to him, Isaac. Now, the name laughter had two purposes. It came from two different sources. First of all, when the angel of the Lord and those who were with him told Abraham that he was going to have a son. And remember, I read that Sarah was hanging out in the tent behind him. Well, she laughed. And of course, you know, there's this little section that says, oh, the Sarah laughed. And Sarah says, no, I didn't laugh. You know, and they went back and forth for a while. But basically, that's the concept and why the name Isaac also, she laughed when he was born because she was 90, so I guess she thought that was funny. But also, I think she found great joy in the fulfillment of the promise of God to have a son. And through that great joy, she laughed in joy. So the, the name of Isaac kind of stuck his name's laughter, but there's a problem. Genesis 21, verses 9 through 11 now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So we got a tent. And in this tent's Hagar and Ishmael and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And Ishmael, who's a little bit older, begins to get all over Isaac and mocks him. So what happens is God tells Sarah to tell Abraham to get them out and to send them on their way. Uh, Genesis 21, 12 and 13. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So who is Ishmael? Well, he just happens to be the ancestor of Muhammad. And if you ever follow any of the things that are going on over in Israel and the Middle East today, you'll know that the followers of Muhammad would like to take the nation of Israel and push it into the Mediterranean Sea. Because from the time of this happening, they have not been friends. They've been foes. There's a religious war going, over, going on over in the Middle East, and it started right here. And it will not end until the return of Christ. So Isaac was also circumcised on the eighth day, which was a promise that we'll learn in, in, in Father's Day about Abraham, was the, the promise of the circumcision, which was what signed and sealed the covenant that God made with Abraham. 
So the sign of that promise was circumcision. So by Abraham circumcising his son on the eighth day shows that the promises made to Abraham now passed on to his son Isaac. So his son Isaac was now a joint heir and a member, a joint heir of the promises of God through Abraham. So that's, that's the sign of circumcision. So all of this all took place in Abraham's life, or in Isaac's life. I get confused because they're together. Okay. So the next thing I want to show you is how Isaac's life revealed his character because he had quite an interesting and, 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 and excellent character, actually. Uh, Genesis 22, verses 6 and 9. It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So Isaac was willingly submissive to the authority of his father and to the promises of God. Because Isaac, uh, the, 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 the age that was mentioned, as they call him a lad, was, they said was somewhere between 5 and 20. But in order for him to be carrying the wood and all this stuff for the sacrifice, they, they assume he was probably around a teenager. We all know what teenagers do. But he's not arguing with them. He's willingly taking the wood and taking the stuff. He knows there's nothing there to be sacrificed. But he ain't arguing with dad. He's just taking the stuff and going. He was willing to be submissive to the authority over him. He also, Isaac, was known for his meditation. Genesis 24, 63 says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. By the way, I cheat. I have all my verses written down here. <laughs> We'd be here for two hours if I was looking them all up. So Isaac went out and meditated, and this was something that he did regularly. Now, what is this meditation? You guys have heard me say this a million times, but I'll do it a million and one. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The book of the law we know is Moses. However, as I spoke about when I preached about Abel, there had to be a communication between God and his people as to what he wanted them to do and not do. There was, I mean, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't, right? Why? Somewhere along the line, Cain and Abel had to know what was the right sacrifice and what was the wrong sacrifice. Because God showed him that when he sacrificed animals to put skins on Adam and Eve to cover their sin. And which began the concept and the process of sacrificing animals to cover the sin of the people. The blood had to flow to cover the sin, which we all know pictures the blood that flowed down the cross of Calvary to finally remove the sin. Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This was Isaac. He was known for his meditation on the word of God. He also trusted God. Back to Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. Again, we're in this sacrificing Isaac time. 
Uh, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Isaac says, No more. There was nothing else that came out of Isaac's mouth. He didn't fight, he didn't argue, he trusted that God was going to do what God's going to do. And we'll look later at Abraham, because Abraham figured, God gave it to me once, he'll give him to me again. If I take his life, God could raise him from the dead. Or he could drop a ram out of the sky. Maybe that's what happened. He was devoted, Genesis 24, verses 66 and 67. Um, <clears throat> Abraham had sent Isaac's servant out to find him a wife. And he didn't want him to marry a girl from the area that they were now living, which was filled with Philistines. So he sent the servant back to where he came from, the land of Ur over Mesopotamia, and to bring back a wife from there, from his people back there. And the servant brings back Rebekah, and we'll talk about her in a little bit. So, but this section here uh, in verse chapter 24, 66 and 67, the servant who went back to get Rebekah told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He loved her, and he loved her some more, and he was devoted to her. And you'll see that throughout Isaac's life, it was him and Rebekah. And nobody else, not even the maid. He learned one thing from his father. Uh, he had a peaceful nature, Genesis 26. And we'll look at verses 18 to 22. Genesis 26, 18 to 22. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar, which are the Philistines, quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they contended with him. And then they dug another well. And they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. He moved away from there, dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last, the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. He was a peacemaker. He wasn't about to sit there and fight with these guys over a hole full of water. When he can go get another hole full of water. And when they fought over that one, he went and got another hole full of water. And rather than fight with them, he'd rather have peace. Genesis 24, verse 63 um, we talked about this. This is when he went out and meditated before Rebecca came. There was a life of prayer in Isaac. Uh, 20, Genesis 25, 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was barren, and the Lord answered him, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Genesis 26, 25. So he built an altar there where the wells that he decided to keep and called upon the name of the Lord. So you see in Isaac's life, a life of prayer. He knew who to go to and when he needed to go. And lastly, in Genesis 22, verses 6 and 7, 
We're back to Abraham in the wood. You see a life of faith. And again, we're not going to reread this again, but again, you'll see the faith of Isaac that God was going to fulfill the promise that he made to him to have descendants because God promised descendants from Isaac more than once. So though he was bound to be a, a, a sacrifice by his father, he had the faith in God to know this was going to be what God wanted and it was all going to work itself out and he was going to have descendants. How this was going to work, I'm sure at the time it, he had no idea. But he had the faith to believe it. Um, Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type and that word type there means that Isaac was a type of Christ, the only begotten son to be offered for the sins of the people. Genesis 26, 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, which is what his father did. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Just like there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went to Egypt, which God told him to. Now there's a famine again when Isaac's in the land, and God told him, don't go to Egypt. You stay here in Gerar, and I'll take care of you. And Isaac believed it and stayed where he was told. So he was a man of faith. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We'll continue with the second part of the message right after this. Hello, my name is Norberto Colon Jr. and I'm a ministry leader for the worship ministry at Commitment Church, a place for all nations. I would like to personally invite you to come to one of our events this month. For the latest events, you can visit commitmentchurch.org events. And if you and your family are looking for a church, we're here on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Thank you again for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We now return for the second half of our message. Now, we see all these nice, good qualities that Isaac had. He was submissive, he was a meditator, he trusted God, he was devoted, peaceful nature, life of prayer, life of faith, but he had some places where he didn't quite make it. Genesis 26, verses 7 to 11. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Boy, does this sound familiar? What did Abraham do when he went down to Egypt? And he said, oh my goodness, I got this good-looking chick, and the last thing I need is to get killed, so somebody's going to take her from me. So, hey, this is my sister. She's cool. She's not my wife because I don't want to get killed. And what's Isaac doing? 
For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly as she is your wife, how then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Even though Isaac's life was full of faith, he missed here. God had already told him in the beginning when he told him to stay in Gerar that you're going to have all these descendants, as many as the stars of heaven. So why was Isaac afraid to be killed? He's not going to get any descendants if he's dead. So where's his faith now? This is my sister. Isn't she cute? <laughs> he missed. Just like us. That's what I love about Scripture. Is God will reveal to us these great heroes of faith and all the wonderful attributes that they had in their lives. And then here's where they were a mess. Because they're human. They have the same nature that we have. That sin nature that creeps up and sneaks out and trips us up. And Isaac was no different. The other thing that I saw in Isaac's life that I thought was uh, inappropriate, if you will, is that he had favoritism, showed favoritism to his son Esau. And why I think this is inappropriate, first of all, I don't think as a parent we should have favorite children. Although sometimes you can't help but do that. <clears throat> I ain't saying nothing, Mike. But, <laughs> but we do. We do have favorite children. We need to keep our mouth shut about that, but we do. But in this particular case, God had already told Isaac that Jacob, the younger son, was going to be the ruler, the son of promise. That Esau, the older son, would serve the younger son. Isaac's already well aware of this because he's now an old man and he's lost his eyesight. And he's well aware that Jacob was going to be the one that ruled and not Esau, yet he loved Esau. And I understand this because he loved Esau because Esau gave him the good food, the meat. Esau was a great hunter and he brought in all the good meat. So Isaac, who was a carnivore, loved his son Esau. The way to a man's heart's through his stomach. But it was wrong. And he had to be deceived by his, his wife Rebecca to give Jacob the blessing that God had already told him to give to him. So Isaac wasn't exactly perfect. He had his flaws. Good paper. All right, so we learned that we've spent about 20 minutes now talking about Isaac. 25. And we know all about Isaac. 
what's that got to do with us? Why should we, I mean, it's a nice history lesson. But like Isaac, we are children of promise. Galatians 4, verses 22 and 23 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, the son by the free woman through the promise. And as he was a child of promise, we receive the promise. Because if you're a born-again Christian, if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, we have been grafted in to the family of God through Abraham and Isaac. Romans chapter 9, verses 7 to 11 says, Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children are the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, had had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to this choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. And just as he called Isaac and Jacob his choice, he also chooses us through Christ. Also, like Isaac, we are justified, justified by faith through our works. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40 says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, all these being the heroes of faith that we have read about or that we will read about in Hebrews chapter 11, all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Look, the blood of Jesus Christ that we believe and trust removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, buried in the deepest sea, because we can't spend eternity with God if we have any sin in us. So the blood of Jesus removes it. The blood of bulls and goats did not. It covered it. So that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the rest of the crew could not be with God until that sin was removed. How do we do this? Remember when Jesus died on the cross? When he died, what happened? The graves opened. And all these people came out and visited their relatives. Who were those people? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. They were in a place called Abraham's bosom. And Jesus had to go get them now that the blood had been shed to take them to heaven with us. So the promises to us are fulfilled through Christ so that all of us get to go to heaven. So that what they were waiting for, they never got because Christ hadn't died yet. Romans 4.3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. 
Romans 4, 22 to 25. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Justification, the easiest way to say that is just as if I never sinned. Because that's how far our sin is removed from us. But not until the blood of Jesus was shed. But, hey, once it was shed, hallelujah, my sins are gone. And I know that I will be able to be in eternity with God the Father because of the blood of Jesus that I have to put my trust in. Not in anything that I do. Hmm. No, not in anything that I do. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 says, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And, of course, Isaac and the rest of the crew. And James lays it out pretty clear. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 24. And it's this idea. What I'm trying to get to you is that Abraham showed his faith by what he did. See, I kind of I take faith and hope and put them together. Okay? But neither of those can exist without obedience. Obedience is the action that faith takes. James chapter 2, start with verse 14. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. Listen carefully. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. See, so many times we're led to believe that Okay, I believe in God. I'm good. You think the devil believes in God? Didn't he meet up with Jesus out in the wilderness and tempt him three times? Why? Because he wanted to stop him from shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, which would keep us from getting to him. He knew exactly who this man Jesus was. He knew he was God, and he was scared to death because he knew when Jesus was done, he was lost. Don't just believe in God, folks. There's more to it than that. 
But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone, and not by works alone either. The two go hand in hand. It is our job in this really disgusting place we live today to be the mirror, the light of Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, we got to do something. Ever hear of a miserable Christian? I'm sure a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Because there's a lot of believers out there today with dour looks on their faces. Because what are they doing? They're watching the world around us. They see illegal immigration and, and inflation and racism and all this other terrible stuff that's going on, and they lose focus. Because they start focusing on the stuff and not on the one that's in control, the Holy Spirit of God, who lives within us, who we need to show to the people because we already got the answer. Folks, look around. In this church right now, look around. Do you think the world would even understand what we're doing here? And how can we do this? How can we, of all mixed cultures and races, stand here together and glorify God? Because of God. Because it's not about stuff. It's not about color. It's not about who my mama and daddy were. It's about Jesus Christ and who he is to me, my Savior. And that's all that matters. And we need to be the picture of Jesus Christ to them people out there so they'll see the same thing. You want peace? We got to show it to them. Because it's right here. It's right here. So, there's one other part of this we have to be careful of. Because every once in a while we have a tendency to to try to be God. Okay, I got faith, but God's not doing this quite the way I thought he would, so I'm going to help him. God promised to make his descendants numerous, so why was Abraham afraid he would be killed? Think Abraham tried to do this himself instead of doing it God's way. God told Sarah she would have a child, yet she gave her maid to her husband to try to fulfill the promise of God. God promised Isaac he was under the same covenant as Abraham. So why did Isaac make the same mistake and call his wife his sister? God promised Isaac and Rebekah that the older child would serve the younger child. Yet they had to be deceitful to make it happen. Because they decided to do it their way instead of God's way. And you'll hear about Jacob next week. He had his own problems. And a bad hip and all that. So these great men of faith had their weaknesses that are no different than the weaknesses that we all share of trying to do things ourselves, trying to do God's work 
when all we need to do is be the ones who reveal God through the word of God, through the testimony of our faith of how God has worked in our lives. And I know every person sitting in this room has got a testimony worth listening to. Because every one of us who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ was walking in a direction they shouldn't be until God interceded in their lives and they turned around and went the other way. And that's what we need to be telling the world. We don't need to be out there with guns fighting battles. Just the sword. That's how we fight our battles. Now I want to finish with this. As I was doing this study, um, I ran into a thing, uh, an article that was written by the American Bible Society in 2001. And it described the work of George Gallup, Jr. Uh, the article was entitled, Quiet Revolution. Gallup's research revealed that 96% of Americans, again, I'm going back to 2001, so it's probably changed since then, but 96% of Americans believe in God, a universal spirit, or a life force. 78% believe in heaven. 60% believe in hell. So the writer of the article claimed Gallup harbors great promise as an American and a Christian for, for a turnaround in the spiritual status of this country. They, they said in the article, results gleaned from the thousands polled by his firm over decades culminated in a body of research from which Mr. Gallup posits a theory as well as a hope. Americans, he says, are in a seeking mode. They're exhausted by political corruption and diatribes, the stress of keeping together home and job, and harbor an abiding sense that mere acquisition cannot equate with self-fulfillment. They are, in short, in search of spiritual meaning. And it is the duty of the Christian churches to fill that vacuum in the soul. So as we look at the patriarchs who wandered around the deserts, they also stirred a quiet revolution. The Canaanites, Philistines, and Hittites had never seen the likes of Abraham and Isaac. Their faith in a personal God creator of the world, and director of their destinies challenged all the idolatry and immorality around them. They were the first of the remnant descendants of God's people, the forerunners of the same kind of quiet revolution stirred by early Christians in the first century after God came to earth in the person of his son. Perhaps we can learn from the patriarchs that Christian leadership in pagan surroundings should look more like Abraham and Isaac and less like Samson and Saul. Serving God by killing Philistines seems less demonstrative of a quiet spiritual revolution than moving aside to let them have your wells and live in such a way that they can say, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. It's not up for us to get out there with our weapons and kill Philistines. We want peace, but it's a peace that only God can give. And it's deep, and it's internal, and yet it'll be external when we show it. We can't just sit idly by and say, I'm good. I made my peace with God. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> the rest of you can just go. No. No, that's not the faith we're talking about here. This is a faith with legs. 
and we need to be the legs. So, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for power equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be the miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the riches of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of you is a miracle of God. And we need to be showing that miracle to everyone that is outside these doors. Hello, my name is Sarah Vega, and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church with another Weekly Wire. I've realized that my environments, our environments, and experiences that we've lived in throughout our lives have a unique way of shaping us. And sometimes those environments and experiences have been very unkind to us. And it's interesting that I've realized in my life is that if I've experienced some unkind things, chances are I'm going to shift and impose that unkindness onto other people. But I have a promise that God's given me and He's given you. And He says that His kindness reaches to the heavens. In other words, if it is reaching to the heavens, it also includes me. In other words, His kindness reaches towards me and somehow it can find its way within the way I treat others. And it's like this, when the kindness of God draws me to repentance, it changes me on the inside and then it causes me to learn how to be kind towards others. And yes, even those people who may be unkind to me. So the next time you feel frustrated or you feel as though that uh, you're struggling with kindness or, or being kind to others, uh, just realize that God's kindness reaches to the heavens. And if it reaches to the heavens, it also reaches to you. And He wants to teach you how to be kind to even those who are maybe unkind towards you. So if there's someone in your life who, who's probably struggling with what I've shared with you today and, and they need to see this video, please pass it on to them and that God can help them in, in this area of kindness and, and maybe reach it towards them that they can learn how to be kind to other people. Listen, I believe our world that we live in today can use a little bit of kindness. Why can't it begin with you and I? We hope you enjoyed the sample of our Weekly Wire. Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, Visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. 
You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.